Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. A beloved young woman is on a journey home. I said, I'll meet you on the other end and well, I'll see you then. But something stops her. I don't remember worrying about it. In retrospect, maybe I should have. And Lauren Garrett vanishes in plain sight. And the detectives were able to go back to the store and get a video. Evidence left behind causes her family and investigators to fear the worst. The family of a swim woman missing for more than a week is worried she may be the victim of foul play. And a community bands together in the search. We're going to send some crews out where the brush gets a little thicker. It total shift of, you know, hoping to find her and see her versus God, don't let me find anything. A private investigator comes to Washington State. It went from A to B and then poof, something changed. Then clues emerge that could be linked to Lauren's past. What we just learned is that we have a credible witness. And a suffering family springs into action. I am sick of saying I don't know. Does she look like this girl right over here? In a desperate attempt to find Lauren. What did you see? What did you hear? We're just trying to find her. I'm just disappointed she's not with me. It was a mild evening in Squim, Washington in May 2014 when 23-year-old Lauren Garrett vanished. Lauren was on her way home from a two-month stint at a drug rehab facility north of Seattle the night she went missing. I had marked on the calendar that 60 days was Friday, um, May 2nd. The week before Lauren's release, she and her father, Fred, agreed on a plan for how she would get back to Squim. She was going to ride the bus down to the ferry. I said, fine, great. I can't wait to see you. You know, I love you very much. And I'll see you Friday morning in Port Townsend. But that meeting would never take place. The day before they were meant to meet up, Lauren called him with a change of plans. She ended up calling me at 7.30 in the, in the evening in Port Townsend. Fred was happy to hear from his daughter, but surprised to know that she was already in Port Townsend the night before her scheduled arrival. 
And I said, uh, okay, great, awesome. Lauren called him from the park and ride in town, asking him to come there to pick her up. But at that moment, Fred was unable to make the 24-mile trip. And I said, I can't come get you right now, but jump on the bus, and then I'll meet you on the other end, and well, I'll see you then. Perfect. It would have been an easy ride home, but there was one glitch in their plan. After she got off the phone, I went and looked at the bus schedule, and I realized that there were no more buses that came from Port Townsend. I, I didn't think it was that late that there would, wouldn't be any more buses running. Fred immediately tried to get in touch with his youngest daughter, who had called him with a borrowed cell phone. I called the phone that she called me on, and the gentleman answered the phone, and he said, well, she's not here. I'm, last I saw her, she was walking to the supermarket, which was right across the park and ride area where she called me from. According to Fred, the man said that Lauren left her bags unattended at the transit stop and headed towards the adjacent Safeway grocery store. That was it. And I thought, oh, dang it, what am I gonna do now? Although Fred was worried his daughter could be in a vulnerable state, he also knew Lauren had plenty of family and friends she could call for a ride. Later that night, he reached out to Lauren's mother, but she had not heard from Lauren either. I remember thinking, she's a big girl. It's not like she's not been on her own. I just figured, you know, if she didn't call a friend, then, you know, she'd be here in the morning. And I, I, I don't remember worrying about it at all. In retrospect, maybe I should have. Lauren, the youngest of three children, was just a toddler when her parents, Fred and Elena, divorced. Soon after, her mother, Elena, married Brett, a single dad with two young boys. Oh, wow, I remember this. No. Holy cow. I remember when she cut her hair. The kids all grew up together in a custom-built home on property that had been in Elena's extended family for generations. And she's got a big family on her mother's side. There's like the fifth generation in the Squim area. As Lauren grew up, she stood out in her community. But she was mysterious and, you know, mischievous. And she liked to be different. She didn't like to follow the crowd and you know she definitely had her own sense of style about her and so it was no surprise that her high school years would leave an indelible mark on so many i mean some kids are kind of rah-rah kind of kids but she was more of a leader by example she just went every, every day she worked really hard she was a record-breaking athlete whose talents spanned the spectrum she was what we would look to as the uh, spark or the firecracker she was always getting kids pumped up for a big game and it wasn't just about her abilities on the field. She was idolized by a lot of the younger um, athletes, and she was always willing to help and stay after. It didn't matter if you were the best or the worst. She treated everybody the same. But Lauren's bright spirit slowly dimmed as a drug addiction took hold these last few years. It was really hard to watch because she's extremely smart and very outgoing and creative. Saturday comes, and we haven't heard from her. And I'm starting to think, okay, wait a minute. I really think she would have called somebody. This just doesn't sit well. So I went ahead and called the police and told them what was going on. 
Fred Garrett had called indicating that his daughter, she had not shown up to squim, and she, he wanted to report her as missing. Fred told the police that Lauren had a history of drug use. He also told the police that he found out from the rehab facility that she was traveling with a check for $55 and only enough cash to get her home. So far, the check had not been cashed. Fred had called me and said, you know, I put out that she's missing and they're going to put it on a database. And I thought, a database? Elena immediately checked Lauren's Facebook page. That not only had she not contacted me or him again, there was nothing. Lauren was a habitual Facebook user. To see no postings from her daughter was alarming. It was horrible to, to have that thought keep coming back and forth to me that, you know, that something was wrong. That's when everybody was alerted that we didn't know where Lauren was, that she was gone. Once her father reported her missing, Lauren's oldest sibling, Whitney, and Whitney's husband sprang into action. My dad called me, and then me and Cody made flyers and went and passed them out in Port Townsend. We just wanted to do something to help. I went down by myself, actually walked around the, the area where I knew she was last at. While Lauren's family and the police desperately sought out information, a new lead came in. Everybody was stressing out, and I get this phone call like at 11.30 in the morning, and my mom says, she tried to cash a check. Somebody saw her this morning. After spending two months in a drug rehabilitation facility, 23-year-old Lauren Garrett was released and on her way home to Squim, Washington, where her family was anxiously waiting. But Lauren mysteriously vanished, and it wasn't until four days later that her family received word of a possible clue. An employee from the same Safeway that was reportedly Lauren's last known location believed Lauren was in the store earlier that morning. Of course, total relief of like, okay, that's good, I'm, I'm so happy. The store clerk said the woman attempted to cash a check without valid ID. The father believed that it was a check she had received from where she was coming from. Police obtained security footage from the store, which clearly showed the young woman in question. The family viewed the images. What we were being told was that the manager thought that the girl that came in was trying to cash Lauren's check, but it wasn't Lauren. Disappointment immediately turned into fear. That was a total red flag. That was like, why would somebody be cashing her check? Where did they find her check? Why does she not have her check? Eventually, police learned that the woman in Safeway had nothing to do with Lauren's disappearance and was, in fact, trying to cash her own check. It was now a week since anyone had heard from or seen Lauren. For the third day in a row, her mother, Elena, went to Port Townsend to continue searching for her daughter. I just want to start it where they last saw her. That day, Elena's instinct told her to search the park adjacent to the bus stop. We decided we were going to go to Kaitai Lagoon Park. Well, I don't think we got five minutes in and I saw a red duffel bag. Instantly, Elena knew it was Lauren's. Of course, I started to dig through it as I'm freaking out, feeling like I'm going to be sick. Then I thought, well, if this is evidence, I need to not, and I called 911. 
the Port Townsend police were dispatched to the location. They collected Lauren's bag and processed the area as if it were a crime scene. It hit home for me when I got the call from Lauren's mom. I put the phone down and I flew out, I flew out of the house and got in my car and drove as fast as I could to Port Townsend. While finding one of Lauren's bags was jarring, it was what was inside that really hit home. Letters and pictures, things that our family and friends had sent to her, that struck me as odd. Lauren's parents can't understand why she would have intentionally left those things behind unless her departure wasn't voluntary. It was just one more mystery. It just made it more confusing. And uh, so we continued to search that area, but in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm looking, instead of looking for her, it was just a total shift of, you know, hoping to find her and see her versus God, don't let me find anything. It was at this point that Seattle local news crews picked up Lauren's story. The family of a swim woman missing for more than a week is worried she may be the victim of foul play. The lack of anything since the first is scary. If you think you have any idea where she might be, please call 911. It was probably one of the moments I went from, okay, she's playing around to, what the hell? And then, deep inside Lauren's bag, another piece of the puzzle turned up. They found a receipt from Safeway. It had a date and time stamp on it, and the detectives were able to go back to the store and get a video that showed her inside the store. Security footage at the Safeway shows that at 8.04 p.m. on May 1st, approximately 30 minutes after Lauren spoke with her father, she purchased a pint of vodka and a soda. Now, seven days after she went missing, her family fears Lauren relapsed and went back to her belongings after the Safeway. They shudder to think of what happened next. With the amount of publicity that this has received, we haven't had any tips indicating that, oh, here she is, she's staying with me. Ever since Lauren's story hit the media, those that knew her and Squim have been devastated. You know, you always have those few students who just are gonna stand out in your mind forever and ever. She's one of those kids. After high school, Lauren could have gone straight to college. She had a couple of opportunities to do track at a, at a college and then do basketball at a college. But at age 19, she had a different vision. She just really felt a need to help people. She accepted a position in Phoenix, Arizona, where she would be teaching art to disabled children. Before Lauren left home to teach, her mother Elena sent her a powerful message in a poem. Beautiful girl with my slight resemble of once upon a time long ago. It's just about her, you know, becoming the woman that she was going to become and trying to figure out who she was. After Lauren's bag was found, an interagency task force was created to pool resources in the search for Lauren. Detectives and scores of search and rescue volunteers converge at Katai Park to conduct a grid search of the area. They're going to coordinate a search through the park, which is land and water, an extensive search to see if we might be able to locate anything additional other than what we've already got. Although it's a heavily traversed municipal park, 
there are many secluded areas where evidence, or even a body, could be hiding. And then we're gonna send some crews out where the brush gets a little thicker and just poke around in there a little. And then, just moments after the search begins, volunteers stumble upon what seems to be a crucial clue. About five minutes into the search, a duffel bag, blue duffel bag was found. I thought, oh, no, it was more they're on the track. Could this be Lauren's second bag? The information is reported back to the command center, but it doesn't take them long to conclude that it's not Lauren's. The duffel bag was unrelated. Duffel bag is unrelated. As dusk fast approaches, it's clear they've got nothing new. The search came up with nothing, and so that was a relief in a way. I mean, would I have liked for them to have found something that gave us a hint as to where things could be now? Yeah, but was I glad they didn't find a body? Sure, definitely. Since over two weeks have passed and Lauren's family is no closer to finding her, they have agreed to let private investigator Gary Miko, a former New Jersey detective specializing in missing persons, come to Washington to take a closer look at Lauren's case. I look forward to meeting with him and hopefully being able to, you know, seek different avenues that the police and the general public and people out there looking, you know, wouldn't do. Gary has traveled across the country to see if he can make sense out of this mystery. Bottom line is you have to follow the evidence. You have to follow, um, you know, what you know, what you can prove. First, Gary heads to the area where Lauren's bag was found to survey the scene. She had two duffel bags. One was missing and one was left behind. How did that happen? You got beer cans here, here, cigarette butts all over the place. It, it's got the feel of sort of like a little campsite. So I don't think it's out of the question at all that she found this place and just bedded down for the night. We'll see, anything's possible. But this is where the clues stop. The intent of Lauren Garrett to come home upon departing rehab, whatever the plan was, it abruptly changed. That's what's odd. You figured it'd be from A to B to C. It went from A to B and then poof, something changed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover. And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Two weeks have passed since Lauren Garrett vanished. With no word from Lauren and the investigation at a standstill, Lauren's family has agreed to let private investigator Gary Miko examine their daughter's case. She hasn't contacted anybody, and that's just not like her. I am sick of saying I don't know. <laughs> sick of it. And uh, I just want her back. After retracing Lauren's steps, Gary is now ready to meet her parents. I got the opportunity to spend time with her dad, Fred, who, who sort of filled me in on her background. Has she ever gone to rehab for this length of time and come out and fallen off the wagon? No, this is the first time she's been in a real rehab. Fred shares details of Lauren's past with Gary, including the moment when Lauren's dreams were shattered. At age 19, soon after Lauren left home to pursue the volunteer teaching position in Arizona, her parents learned that the job fell through. And I think that was disappointing to her because, you know, she always had wanted to, you know, grow up and go somewhere and do something. And so, you know, waylaying that dream kind of was frustrating to her. 
Lauren returned to Squim a few months later. Her parents say that she was hanging out with a group of young people known to use narcotics. She was really naive about what she was getting herself into. They think, well, that's not going to be me. I can handle this. I'm going to go out and have fun for a little while. And then I'm going to go off and I'm going to do another chapter in my life. A year later, in 2012, Lauren and her childhood friend Maggie planned a new adventure. Uh, Lauren and I have known each other since the sixth grade. Like, I've never laughed so hard with anybody in my whole life. We laugh till we cry. This place is special to me and Lauren because we grew up here. The two girls had always dreamed of living together in Seattle and decided to make a go of it. We're both so extremely spontaneous that it's hard to be responsible almost when you just want to do whatever the hell you want to do and you're going to and you're stubborn like us. We have a passion for freedom, you know. But freedom came with a price. It was like one thing fell through after another after another. Over time, both Maggie and Lauren became homeless and addicted to drugs. They got by couch surfing and panhandling in a North Seattle neighborhood called Shoreline. We would talk about her situation, but usually it was, it was just me trying to be positive and, you know, let her know that I don't have any judgment. And then, in the summer of 2013, Lauren hit rock bottom and reached out to her mother for help. I went and picked her up, and um, it was eye-opening because she'd been living um, in a stairwell with a blanket. And so, <laughs> that was tough. Unable to cope with her daughter's drug habits, Elena made arrangements for Lauren to live with her father, Fred, in December of 2013. Lauren came back to me because she had ran out of opportunities. She had no place else to go. And I told her straight up, I said, listen, Lauren, you've got two choices, girl. You know, I love you to death. You can go back to doing what you were doing, and it's not going to be a good ending. Or you can stay here, and I'll get you to a rehab facility. And as much as she fought it, she stuck it out. Lauren spent two months drug-free, waiting for a bed to open up at a rehab facility. She was admitted on March 1st for 60 days. And now, after four months clean, Lauren is missing, and her loved ones believe she is in danger. I think if she knew about all the media and about uh, if she had checked her Facebook, I think she would have contacted us a long time ago. You know, as this thing gets farther and farther along, it just seems more and more like foul play. Private investigator Gary Miko is determined to find out what happened to Lauren after she spoke to her father 16 days earlier. She was dropped off. And then, Fred offers up some information that changes the game in the search for Lauren. What we just learned is that we have a credible witness that spotted her in the town of... Although there have been many tips that turned out to be cases of mistaken identity, Fred questions this one. Gary thinks this tip could be the real deal. There was a possible sighting of Lauren in the town of Shoreline on the other side of the Puget Sound. This witness claims that Lauren has returned to Shoreline, 
the place where everything had gone south for her. The next day, Gary arranges a meeting with Lauren's mother, Elena, and her husband, Brett. He wants to dig deeper into the possible sighting. There he is. Hi, I'm Gary. I'm Brett, Gary. Brett, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi, Gary, Smile Elena. Elena? Elena? Yeah. Gary, nice to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Can we sit and talk? Sure. sure. Good. Lauren's mother and stepfather were, I think, emotionally drained, and I think the waiting around was getting to them. Tell me about her. Lauren. I, you know, it seems so out of character. I'm just having a hard time deciphering what I know versus what I'm trying to put as reality. Does that make sense? You are making sense. For Elena and Brett, the tip about the sighting and shoreline seemed promising, so Brett wanted to talk to the witness himself. I had contacted Fred and asked him for his phone number. And immediately I called. The witness told Brett on the phone and through text that he and Lauren spoke about rehab. And he had told me that he was a little hesitant in speaking with her sure. father. And I told him that I was in recovery as well. And he opened up. Brett is a recovering addict, and he's familiar with the drug scene in Shoreline. He feels that his experience might help them all get closer to Lauren if she has relapsed. But after two days, all communications with the tipster came to a halt. I have not heard back from him. I haven't had the opportunity to go over there. I think they wanted to do something that's their kid. Who's going to stop them from looking on their own? We can't be cops. Right. But as, as family members, there's a lot you can do. Waiting is, is not an option, as far as I'm concerned. Right. They realize that they can take the bull by the horns, jump off the couch, and, and do it themselves. I have a great idea. Why don't we go find her and uh, ask these questions ourselves? <laughs> Lovely. I would be more happy, too. So that, that sounds like a plan. Elena and That's Brett great. agree it's time to go look for their daughter and, with any luck, bring her home. To learn more about Lauren Garrett's case, go to investigationdiscovery.com slash disappear. It's mid-May in Squim, Washington. Private investigator Gary Miko, Lauren's mother Elena, and her stepfather Brett are gearing up to search for Lauren themselves. Want to go on a field trip today? I'm ready for a field trip, okay. definitely. Definitely. For the first time in two and a half weeks, there is hope that 23-year-old Lauren Garrett may be alive in a North Seattle neighborhood just over an hour's drive and a ferry ride away. So what we're doing today is we're just following the breadcrumbs. We're just following um, a lead, and we're just going to um, see where it takes us. So the ride over, um, I, I had asked them both how they felt about doing what they were doing today. I find myself talking in my head a lot. Little prayers. Come on, Lauren, where are you? That kind of stuff. I find myself fighting the urge to vomit. <laughs> oh, great. She was that nervous about going over there and looking. They knew how she lived last time and wanted to do something and act to um, get her out of harm's way, if that's indeed where she went. The three embark on the same ferry Lauren would have taken if, in fact, she is in shoreline. We're going to be sort of covert, okay. split up, and just take our time. If you spot her, we're not going to chase her. We don't want to ask too many questions and spook her either out right. of the area. Let's not turn this into an episode of Cops where we're chasing down the street and you know, running into traffic. They, they wanted to be gentle, um, sensitive 
to Lauren and, and hopefully help her if they did happen to run into her. Let's nose around a little bit, shake the tree and see what falls out. Okay. Well, the first order of business um, once we got off the ferry was really to go to this Aurora Village. They begin at the transit stop on the other side of the parking lot. There should be posters on all these bus stops here. This is the exact spot where, according to the witness, Lauren got off a bus just one week earlier. Looks like a bus driver. If Lauren is staying in Shoreline, chances are she'll come back here since this is the main transportation hub. Ask the bus driver guy right there. I Let's am find out from him. him. Maybe he knows. Brett and Elena are determined to make sure every rider gets a glimpse of Lauren. How you doing? Uh, My daughter, about a I, week ago, was... A sighting said she got off at Aurora Village here. Oh, wow. And uh, she's been gone for a couple weeks, and we have not seen her at all. Yeah. We're just trying to find her. I understand. She vanished. Her stepfather, Brett, sort of a keep-to-yourself sort of guy, he was Mr. Extrovert. Hey, dude. He began on his own approaching dude. bus drivers and strangers, hey. anyone and everyone. Buddy. to hand out flyers and, and taking notes of possibilities of other places where she might be. She's been frequenting um, your bus line and she's... Yeah, yeah, she's up on the bulletin board there. Okay. Okay, perfect. Thank you. This is teamwork. This is a good thing. Elena makes her way across the street to a municipal park where transients are known to gather. Does that look familiar to you? How old is she? She's 23. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Her name's Lauren. All right. All right. What's that? I hope she's not dead. <laughs> you and me both. Elena is more determined than ever to find her daughter. She got a lost dog. I wish it was a dog. It's my daughter. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll keep an eye on Okay, she used to live in this area, that's why we're back over here. Uh -huh. So I'm not, you know, I don't know, I just know that. Oh, she'll show up. I'm hoping. Oops, <laughs> thank you. Brett meets up with Elena at the park, and the two decide it's time to move on to another location. I asked, where would you want to go from here? What, what is nearby that you're familiar with? Golden West Hotel. Let's go there next. Okay. How far? It's, it's a half a mile up to Golden West. Her stepfather, Brett, knew the area quite well. And he had mentioned a motel that she had stayed at previously. She wanted to stop by that motel in the off chance that she was staying there, had been staying there, which was smart. Okay. All right, let's go. Brett and Gary visit the manager's office while Elena questions the motel's guests. So we went in, uh, spoke to the, uh, the manager and the manager's wife, and um, they didn't recognize her in the poster. And just when they are about to leave empty-handed, a man comes forward with some information. As we were standing in there, we noticed that there was a, a guy kind of standing outside the office door, and when presented with a flyer, knew exactly who she was. Asking to remain anonymous, the witness does agree to answer Gary's questions. What did you see? What did you smell? What did you hear? Even if it was brief, explain. I saw this girl while I was working here at the motel. 
uh, the door opened, her room opened, and her and another gentleman came out of the room. Distinct drug smell, like acid smell, came out of the room. So she stayed here on the 14th. On the 14th of May, Wednesday. Yeah. And it was in one night from what we have here on the receipt. Yes. You're positive that's her? I am positive, 100% positive that this girl was the girl that walked out of that room. If this information is accurate, Lauren's parents have missed her by only four days. Lauren's mother and stepfather want to keep the momentum going. There is a string of motels like this one in the area. Does she look like this girl right over here? They ask around. Uh, no. No, okay. <laughs> but it seems their luck has run out. How did it go? No. No, as in he hasn't seen her? No. But before going home, they head to a nearby park where homeless youth are known to sleep. And just after they pull into the parking lot, Fred? Gary receives a call from Lauren's dad in Squim. He had just received a tip moments earlier. Could this be the clue that leads them to Lauren? After two and a half weeks of not knowing whether Lauren Garrett, a young woman from Squim, Washington, was alive or dead, her mother Elena and stepfather Brett accompany private investigator Gary Miko to Seattle to follow up on a lead. Ask the bus driver guy right there. She's been gone for a couple weeks. There's your office. Hello. Within hours, they stumble upon a witness who says that he saw Lauren at a motel just four days earlier. Her and another gentleman came out of the room. Distinct drug smell. As they continue to scour the area, hoping to get another lead, Fred, Lauren's father, calls them with a tip he has just received. So I got this call from the girl, um, and she stated that she saw Lauren yesterday. Fred says that a woman called him after seeing one of the posters that Brett and Elena had hung up earlier that day. She told me that she knows it was Lauren and she knows that Lauren is alive. Okay, if you hear from her again, please let us know and we'll take this information and pass it on to law enforcement. While Fred and Gary nose around the area before it gets dark. I don't know if he saw anything down there. I've never seen anyone camp. Elena stays back, reflecting on the day's events. There, there's a sense of relief that I'm I, not fearing the worst anymore. She's alive. You know, alive is good. And now it's time to drive back to the ferry. So all of your efforts have, have been paying off today. In a matter of about 24 hours, we've confirmed three sightings. Two of them coming in the last three hours. The inescapable thoughts that Lauren could have fallen victim to foul play are slowly fading away. Minus the fact that I'm super glad that things are good. I'm just disappointed she's not with me. On the road back to Squim, there's an uneasy silence. There's nothing in my heart that makes me feel like I can be mad or irritated or upset to know. I mean, if honestly, if, if it was something about her just taking off that space she must be in in order to do that, that breaks my heart. The next day, Lauren's father and mother report the two sightings to the Port Townsend police. Based on the new information, 
the authorities decide to scale back on their investigation into Lauren's disappearance. Um, it's just that she's a young woman, 23 years of age, who's decided that she doesn't want to or won't be in contact with her family for whatever reason she chooses. It's now time for Gary to return home to New Jersey. Exchanged uh, contact information and um, looking forward to um, some good news very quickly. I think she's there and I hope um, there's a nice proactive approach from the family and everyone else involved to, to find her. For Lauren's dad and her mother and stepfather, the days following the trip to Shoreline with Gary were filled with highs and lows. Together, they took multiple trips back to Shoreline to scour the area, and every lead turned into a dead end. The problem is, is everybody says, oh, she looks familiar. And so it was like, familiar is not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it needs to be, yeah, that's her. They even got creative in their search efforts by targeting the homeless with the grim reality in mind that Lauren could be living on the streets. A lot of the people in that arena, people don't care about them. You know, they're homeless or they're drug addicted or they're alcoholics. And, and so I thought, you know what, what we need to do is we're going to make some bag lunches and I will post her flyer like a milk carton on them and we'll hand them out. And that was a family mission. And so it was really good and we you had know, for us to go do that. In the dark days Lauren's family has lived through this past month and a half, some light has emerged. Brett and I and Elena really, really made a good team. You know, the, the whole part of how sad it was, we gave each other support. The once strained relationship over the last 20 years between Lauren's mother and father has changed dramatically as they worked together to find their missing daughter. And family support was essential for what came next on June 3rd, 34 days after Lauren disappeared. I'm just sitting at home and I get a phone call from my little brother and say, hey, so-and-so saw Lauren. Fred's brother said a woman he knew believed she interacted with Lauren at a department store where she worked in Shoreline. And then I get a call from the Port Townsend detective. He says, we got a still shot. I'm going to email it to you and um, let me know what you think. A few hours later, the photo taken from the security camera arrived in Fred's inbox. As soon as I opened up the email, I was like, wow. Yeah, that's Lauren. There's no doubt in my mind that's Lauren. We were excited. Excited, relieved. But it wasn't the kind of news they hoped for. The information was discouraging. Lauren was attempting to return merchandise for cash using a fake ID. And the girl said, well, you know, your parents are looking for you. You need to give them a call. And Lauren's response to that was, oh, I already did. The girl said, her and her friend watched Lauren walk out of the store, walk across the parking lot where there's a large bus station, and that's the last that they saw of Lauren. Now, with the physical proof in hand that Lauren is alive, her family must figure out how to move forward. Their decision isn't easy, but they all agree. Lauren is a drug addict who's likely using again. At this point, no one can force her to come home. 
It doesn't matter if your wife or your brothers and sisters or your family, everybody that loves you tells you, you know what, we don't want you doing this. You're hurting yourself. It doesn't matter. That has to come from within. Addiction's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing to get rid of. It's a disease and it just kind of has to click in your head one day that you just don't want to do drugs anymore. So I'm just hoping that um, she finds her feet like I did. Yet life is not the same without Lauren in it. Her creative, spontaneous, infectious personality is greatly missed in Squim. Before going to rehab, Lauren spent some time reconnecting with her older sister, Whitney, who is a beekeeper and organic farmer. Whitney will always cherish the gift Lauren made for her. I'm so grateful for a sister as talented, loving, and intelligent as you. I hope I turn out a little more like you when I grow up. I love her and I hope she comes home. In the meantime, Lauren's family and friends must wait for her to decide how this story ends. And she's watching this right now. I would just say, Lauren, I love you. Your family loves you. And we'd like for you to talk to us and just let us know you're okay. That's all. Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9. On ID and stream on Max.